Good morning. Hey, um, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some spring. I am ready for spring. Um, last week, Jesse kicked off our series, The Simple Gospel, and she highlighted what that simple gospel kind of is, is that God loves us. He sent his son, Jesus, for us. And she highlighted that we, need, we all need a savior. And I get to t- continue in this series and share, like, why we need that savior. Um, I grew up middle of five. I have an older brother, older sister, younger brother, and it's me. And I also remember saying my very first swear word. Probably not what you expected to hear right away Sunday morning, but I remember saying my very first swear word. I was in about the second or third grade. My dad was going to become a pastor at the church we grew up in, and he had invited um, the other pastor and his family over to our house. Yeah, setting the scene, already giggling here. Um, With this other pastor's family, they had like nine kids, but two boys. So naturally, the boys, we were in the basement together, and my brother was just picking on me. My older brother, for whatever reason, he just kept picking on me and picking on me. And I knew I had to, like, do something. I knew I had to, like, stand my ground to show, like, these other two dudes, like, I'm not going to just get pushed around. And so I was like, Caleb, you know what? You're a big horses, the animal that Jesus rode in on on Palm Sunday. Like, I called them that. I felt so good. Like, I felt so strong. See, well, let me tell you why, though. Like, we grew up, my parents weren't, like, cussing in the house and all that, but we would watch Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Yes, and Kevin, he's fighting off Harry and Marv. He, like, he climbs down this roof on a, on a rope, and they're looking for him, and Kevin's about to light it with kerosene, and he, like, yells up to him, hey, I'm down here, you big... So I'm like, I'm like Kevin. I'm showing Harry and Marv, which happened to be my brother and the other two pastor kids, what's up? Like, felt great, but they were older. And so my brother's like, you just swore. I was like, no, I didn't. I said this. He's like, no, that's a swear word. I immediately just felt sick because I knew that wasn't going to fly in our house. And thankfully, before he ran upstairs, the other two boys were like, wait. I'm like, I love this church. (laughs) They're going to tell my brother to stop. They're like, wait, Caleb, don't, don't. I'm like, Come on, guys, preach. I love this. And they're like, don't tell your dad. I'm like, okay. They go, we'll tell my dad. <laughs> and then my dad will tell your dad. So you'll be in trouble with the pastor and your dad. I took off running. Like, I took off running. I wanted to hide. The amount of shame and guilt that I had was so strong. They didn't tell my parents that night. Thank goodness. But that following Sunday, they found me at the drinking fountain, and they're like, hey, does your dad know yet? (laughs) No. Oh, he's gonna. We're gonna tell my dad today. (laughs) Oh. The following Sunday, same kind of deal. So I kept, like, hiding from these guys. I kept hiding also my shame and my guilt. Now, I don't know what happened the few Sundays after because their dad didn't end up finding out. My parents didn't find out until I felt safe enough when I was 30 to tell them that I swore in their house. (laughs) But what continued was this pattern for me of when I messed up, 
when I made a mistake, I would hide. I'd carry shame. I wouldn't want the other kids to find out. I wouldn't want my parents to find out. I sure as heck didn't want the pastors to find out. But what I love about the simple gospel is that grace isn't defined by your parents. It's not defined by the pastors. It's defined by God's love for you. That Jesus came for you and I so that we can live into this grace. That we can live into this new life. And we're going to kind of unpack what that means. Because I know for me, like, I had to go on this journey of what that grace truly means for me and what that life means for me. And we're going to look at some writings in Romans. Romans chapter 6. And if you brought your Bibles with, you can open it up. If you got your phones out, maybe you're texting a friend, that's totally cool too. You can, you know, pull up the Bible app or whatever you have. We're also going to have it on the screens. But I want to just kind of share who the author is. It's Paul. And Paul wrote a ton of the New Testament. And, but before he was Paul, he was Saul. And maybe some of you are familiar with this conversion of Saul to Paul. Maybe not. But Saul was this man that uh, was part of this religious movement that wanted nothing to do with this new movement of Christ followers. Like, he was part of this group that said, like, if anybody believes in Christ, that Christ was this son of God, that Jesus was the son of God, and he came to the earth to forgive us of our sins, like, get rid of him. And Saul was like this bounty hunter, and he was like really good at it. In Acts, they describe him as this. It says, meanwhile, while he was still breathing out murderous threats. I'm getting threatened to get my sins told my parents and my pastor. Like, this guy is like murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Another version says, as this, all this time, Saul was breathing down the necks of the master's disciples out for the kill. Saul was not great at all. And so Saul's on his way because he got this list of people and where they were at, and he's on his way to go and persecute them. And then he has an encounter with Jesus. He gets blinded, and he's trying to figure out what's happening, and he hears this voice, and he calls out, who are you, master? And the voice responds with this. It's me, Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And in that moment, Saul and Jesus kind of have this dialogue. Jesus is going to tell him, hey, these are the people you're going to meet. This is the place you're going to go. But then Jesus also says, I'm also going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you a new purpose and a new mission you can live into. And I believe that's what helped Paul write Romans 6. And he writes in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Saul realizes the sin he had. He realizes also that he can put to death that sin just like Jesus had died. And he continues on. Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Jesus, in Christ Jesus, we are baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. A new life beyond a swearing third grader for me. 
but a new life in Christ. Verse 5, it says, For we have been united with him in death, like his. We certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. I love that, that we can be set free from sin. It continues, I'll read from 8 to 14 here. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. I'm going to say that again. He died for it once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. I love this verse. Verse 14 it says, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. That third grade self of mine, I felt like I was under this law of sin, like I had messed up, I'd done something big, so I was just kind of trapped in this. I had to work through my, my life a little bit to understand what this grace is. And I truly believe that's, Paul had to kind of do the similar things. Paul had to acknowledge, man, this is not who I want to be. God's inviting me into a greater life than this. I get to live into that life. I believe this passage helps us to live into that new life. And and I want to look at three practices that we all can can do to live. Man, I wasn't even saying the swear word. Usually that would get bleeped out there. We still good? You can hear me? All right. I believe there's three practices that we we can do. The first one is stop carrying the weight. Stop carrying the weight. Um, It's March 19th. Pretty soon it's going to be April. The snow is going to melt, church. The snow is going to melt. The spring is going to come. Okay? Amen. Thank you. Spring's coming, and one of the things we love in spring is my wife is she's so good at like finding a bunch of flowers and plants and like putting them into different pots. And so this past spring, we went to Fleet Farm. We brought the kids with. I tagged along to push the cart and to grab the potting soil. The kids got to pick out some flowers. And so what we do then is when we get home, she just kind of arranges them, puts them in different pots, And then um, the front steps is just kind of organized with like eight or nine different pots and then on the deck too. And then we kind of take turns um, watering them. Our kiddos love to water them and sometimes overwater them. Um, But we take care of them. And then come fall, we all know kind of what happens is they start to wither and die. That freezing temps don't help the soil. They don't help the roots grow anymore. And so what we do is, like most people, we dump them into the compost. But what we don't do is we don't start to bring them inside when the snow's coming. We don't keep watering them when they're 
dead, we stop taking care of them. I don't know about you, but I've done this with shame and regret in my life. Where I just feed it. I let it rule and make a law in my life that I'm going to have shame and guilt. But Paul's talking about this new life where we're not under that law, but we're under grace. So one of the first practices we can do is stop carrying that weight. You're not defined by your mistakes. You're defined by the name God has given you. And he loves you. We sing that early. Oh, how he loves us. And Amy shared, like there's nothing that can separate us. John 3.16, Jesse highlighted last week that God loved us so much he sent his son for us. And then in verse 17, he didn't send his son so that he would condemn us, go tell our parents and our pastors what we've done. No. Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to set free, to provide this new life. For me, I had to wrestle through that. Because I can read about it and I can hear a story about Paul and just this incredible transformation, but it doesn't always speak to maybe my emotions. Or maybe it doesn't speak to some of the experiences I had because I just felt so guilty and ashamed. I was talking with my counselor a while back about grace and how I just had a really hard time receiving grace. Because I can understand grace, I can tell people about grace, but receiving it for me was completely different. And then he says to me, Elliot, you think you're better than God. <laughs> no, I don't. Like, I'm coming to see you to talk about, like, stuff going on in my life that I need God. Like, I don't think I'm better than God. He goes, well, you do. Because if you didn't think you were better than God, you would just receive his grace. You wouldn't keep trying to earn his grace. You wouldn't keep hiding from his grace. You would simply receive it. I had to wrestle with that. God, I don't think I'm better than you. I don't, I don't think I can earn this grace because I know we can't earn that grace. We simply just receive it. But it took a while. And then the following sessions, one of them, he said, all right, Elliot, here's what we're going to do. We've been kind of talking about this. I want, I want you to just battle out for the next five minutes on what you can do to earn God's grace. Tell him. Just tell God what you think you can do to, that overpowers the death of his son on a cross and his resurrection. Tell him what you can do to receive his grace. Friends, as soon as he was like, all right, timer's set. I put my head down and I just like started crying. I was like, God, I'm sorry for carrying this. Because there's truly nothing I can do. It doesn't matter how many times I show up to church. It doesn't matter how much I volunteer. It doesn't matter how much I give. You've already given it all. You've given it all for me so that I can have that new life. And then when we came back, he said, what was that like? I said, that was probably one of the most freeing things I've ever experienced in my life. But I had to take each day then to say, God, thank you for your grace. I had to continue to live in that. 
And that takes us to that next practice we can do is we have to start walking in the newness of life. Could you imagine Saul just got blinded? Everything that was told to him happened. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you a new mission. I'm going to give you a new purpose. You are going to encourage so many people. Could you imagine if Saul was like, yeah, that sounds good, but I actually feel uncomfortable with where I am. Plus, like, Paul, I kind of like Saul. Like, there's a P in my name now. That feels weird. But I'm going to stick with Saul. No, like, we wouldn't have the encouragement we have through his writing. The church of Ephesus wouldn't have the encouragement. We wouldn't experience what it meant to be dead to our sins just like Saul was. Paul stepped into that new name and he lived in it boldly. Because now, instead of persecuting Christ's followers, he was encouraging them. He was now the one going to be persecuted, and he was. But he lived into it boldly. So for you and me, it, it means we might have to stop doing some things. Maybe there's a, a struggle or a habit or an addiction that you are just caught up on, and you just don't know how to break free from that. Well, Paul's telling us that we can put to death those things. Uh, James Clear, he, he wrote this book called Atomic Habits. And it, the book, it, it talks about like how to develop really healthy habits, how to identify bad habits, how to get rid of those bad habits. And I, I like how he shares like how our human behavior is. He says this, all behavior is driven by a desire to solve a problem. Sometimes the problem is that you notice something good and you want to attain it. Sometimes the problem is that you're experiencing pain and you want to relieve it. Either way, the purpose of every habit is to solve the problems you face. I was in a habit of when I felt shame or when I made mistakes, I'd go hiding. I would hide. I would try to cover it up. I would even try to make it right. Not that that's a bad thing, but I was also missing out on the grace that God had given me. And then he continues on in his book, and he has this diagram. I think it's absolutely fantastic. It says cue, craving, response, reward. And he breaks it down in this really practical way. You hear your phone buzz or ding. That's your cue. Your craving. We want to know what it is, right? We want to know why our phone just went off. So we respond by going to it. And we're rewarded by what it tells us. Oh, I found out I, I got a text message. Um, somebody shared something, right? An email. Like, we're rewarded by finding out what those things are. But then he kind of talks about, like, how that's in our behavior. Maybe your cue is that you're lonely. You find yourself, you just got done hanging out with a bunch of friends, or maybe you just got done with work and you get home and now you're lonely. You're noticing you're alone. You're craving to not be alone. You're craving this form of attention. You respond with either really healthy things or unhealthy things. And you're rewarded either way by those things. Sometimes those rewards are really unhealthy. 
But this just creates this wheel. Maybe your cue is that you had a really stressful day at work, people are annoying, and you just are stressed out. You're craving to relieve that stress. You respond with going to something that's going to reward you. It could be all sorts of different things for you, but it creates a cycle. And I know for me, I had to identify those cues. I identify those cravings and how I was responding to those cravings. And just like Paul, he's telling us that we can put to death those things. He writes in in verse 14, it says, For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. He says in verse 4 that we therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. Maybe those rewards aren't bringing you the new life you were expecting them to bring. Instead, they're bringing destruction. They're straining your marriage. They're straining your relationships. They're straining your productivity at work. Paul's inviting us to put to death those things, to just end it and step into this new life that God invites us into. The other thing is, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be very hard work. And I want to encourage you, don't do that alone. Invite God into this process. God, help me with this. Like I've noticed I, I have a cue on something and I'm craving something. God, help me out with this. Naming it to him. Invite a close friend that you trust into this process. Paul didn't do these things alone. He was with people. And church, we are with people. We shouldn't be doing this alone. The third practice I believe that we can step into is baptism. In a couple Sundays, we are going to be having baptism right here at Mercy Vineyard. We're not going out to a lake. This isn't a polar plunge baptism, although I think that would be kind of neat. We're going to have a tank in here that's heated water, like it's warm. But what baptism symbolizes is what Paul talked about. That when we go under that water, it's just as Christ had died for us. That we're putting putting those things away. We're being washed by those mistakes. And we're coming up as a symbol of I'm stepping into this new life, this new life that God has invited me into because of his son, Jesus. Choosing to put away those mistakes you've done and stop carrying that weight and that shame. Stepping into that new life is going to be hard work. And baptism is an incredible symbol of that hard work. It's showing to your friends and family, it's showing to your church too that like, hey, this is who I am going to be. You're desiring to be more like Christ. You're desiring to live into this grace, not a law of sin. Or maybe it's for you, maybe it's like me, not living into this law of shame that you've labeled yourself. Jesus is inviting us into this new life. That's what that simple gospel is. One, we have a savior. 
And two, we get to live in this new life that the Savior has provided for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come on up. And I, I heard them preparing the song that I had no idea that they would be playing. Amy's chuckling. They're going to sing a song that I, I believe is going to speak to some of your hearts. Gary talked about that Connect card and the offering. In a, in a moment, ushers, you can come on up. And in a moment, they're going to pass the basket. And, and at, here at Mercy Vineyard, we believe in taking the next step. We believe that writing it down and sharing it with others invites us into declaring it a little bit more. And for some of you, I'm, I'm going to talk to the ones right now. Maybe for you, you've been baptized. I want to encourage you to remember that baptism. I, I want you to remember that new life that you have in Christ. That Jesus died for you. That he's inviting you into a new life. Would you just put a one on there? And now for the twos. Maybe you've been baptized as an infant. Maybe you got baptized when you're really, really young and you don't quite remember why. Or maybe you've been, never been baptized before. And you want to step into this new life. You want to be free from some of those things. And you want to show that you are walking into this newness of life. Would you put a two? And would you make sure you have a name and a good way for us to reach out to you so that we can get you more information on what it means to be baptized here at Mercy Vineyard, what it looks like? And we also want to hear some of your story of how you're stepping into that new life, how you're declaring that. Ushers, you can pass the basket. And maybe those steps, steps one and two, maybe that doesn't hit home for you. We're going to have a time of prayer at the end of the service. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But we're going to sing this song. It's called New Wine. God uses ordinary people like us. God uses people who breathe out murderous threats like Saul and invites them into a new life. And that's what the simple gospel is, that we have new life in Christ.